Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List, coming at you today with another episode. Uh, before we jump into it today, as a reminder, we always have the primary care pod at gmail.com inbox, primary care pod at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to send me any articles, any comments, any feedback, um, and any sponsorship opportunities. And speaking of which, today on the Primary Care Podcast, we have our first official sponsor. Ha! That's right. Uh, This episode of the Primary Care Podcast is actually sponsored by Panacea Financial. Uh, Panacea Financial, for those who don't know, is banking built for doctors by doctors. They're a financial services company for healthcare providers who understand your banking needs because they've been through it before. Their doctor co-founders noticed a theme during their training and practice. Banks didn't understand the financial needs of doctors, so they decided to fix it themselves. That's why Panacea Financial offers doctors and doctors in training the services they deserve that is accessible no matter where they are in their careers. At Panacea Financial, their mission is to make doctors' lives easier by trusting doctors as borrowers, not based on credit scores or debt amounts. They defend their customers' time, being available around the clock to be there when their customers need them, not just nine to five. Finally, they want to enhance your financial freedom by providing a personalized banking experience specifically for physicians and other healthcare providers. Panacea Financial can help you overcome the financial stress of training and practice. So check them out today at panaceafinancial.com. That's P-A-N-A-C-E-A financial.com. And tell them Dr. List sent you. And thank you for sponsoring today's episode. And, you know, uh, not to transition into something more dramatic, but on a sadder note, one of my favorite singers, Billy Joel, just had his house burned down. Reportedly, one of his video game consoles started on fire in his house. I just read the article on the story, but Mr. Joel is convinced that his Nintendo Wii didn't start the fire. All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody, pod girls, pod boys, pod people. It's your boy, Dr. Mark List. And today's episode of the Primary Care Podcast is a very boring, very unsexy, but incredibly important study uh, just last month, month of August 2022, in the journal, uh, the American Journal of Kidney Diseases, your favorite, my favorite journal. In fact, I've probably never read an episode before. I never read a journal article on this before. Um, but this article I thought was incredibly, incredibly valuable. So the authors looked at renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors, right? So ACE inhibitors, ARBs, ARBs. And what they wanted to do was look at episodes where patients had had hyperkalemia and then had their ACE inhibitor or ARB discontinued. And what happened to those patients, okay? And this is a massive study looking at 78,000 patients in Canada. Crazy high number. And what they did was then their primary outcome was all-cause mortality, 
Um, and secondary outcomes were major adverse cardiac events, fatal and non-fatal MIs, et cetera, dialysis initiation, et cetera. And this study was really interesting because hyperkalemia, oh, and all these patients, sorry, very important caveat, all of these patients had chronic kidney disease, okay? So these are patients that are likely to get electrolyte abnormalities. In this study, the average GFR was around 40, and the average episode of hyperkalemia, which was defined as any potassium was greater than 5.5, right? So they allowed that to be the, um, the cutoff for hyperkalemia. The average discontinuation level was 5.7 to 5.8, right in that range, okay? And what they did was they one-to-one matched if you had your ACE or ARB continued or if you got your ACE or ARB discontinued. And it was pretty significant that not only was discontinuation of an ACE or an ARB associated with higher risk for all-cause mortality for major cardiac events, right, Uh, cardiac-specific mortality, uh, was also associated with a massive increase in the risk of developing dialysis, but also slowing down the dose and having a risk re- uh, a dose reduction was also associated with an increase in mortality and cardiovascular events. So I think it's really important to dig into this study because these are things that you and I are going to get labs back on patients with chronic kidney disease. And they're going to have an elevated potassium. I think it's important to note that even in this study, they didn't worry about a potassium of 4.9, of 5, of 5.1, of 5.2, of 5.3, etc. They only even considered the event if the potassium was over 5.5. And then, you know, was really just to, to observe what happened between the two groups. And there is really no standard of care for managing hyperkalemia in patients with CKD, right? Um, you know, we always, at least in my in my world, we were always trained to, you know, look for medications and slow down medications or switch medications that could cause hyperkalemia, right? Um, we also would talk to patients about maybe eating less potassium, okay? Um, there's two specific things that I was never really trained on that are recommended in this in this guideline or in, in, in by the authors. And that is number one, to correct any metabolic acidosis and also to use potassium-specific binders. Um, and observational studies have shown that in, in previous studies that stopping ACE and ARBs or reducing their dose was the single most common strategy in chronic hyperkalemia management, okay? And so that's why they did the study in the first place, not knowing that it would cause this significant uh, of an issue, but it absolutely did. Now, the there was a great editorial that went along with this. And basically, I'm gonna pull this up right now, and, and basically went over the fact that this is actually really terrifying. That stopping, we know how good ACE inhibitors and ARBs are for the management of chronic kidney disease. They're also incredibly important in anybody with coronary artery disease. They're significant, they're very, very important in patients with uh, heart failure with with reduced ejection fraction, and even in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fractions to a lesser degree. But we know that hyperkalemia is a very significant risk factor in patients with CKD, especially if they've got CKD and diabetes. 
significantly increased risk, okay? And so when they talk in the study about all of these bad outcomes happening, I went back and, and thought about my own patients, and, and I've done this many times, right? I think all of us have done this, where we get a lab back and we worry so much about what do we do with that hyperkalemic lab? And we have to do something about it because we get a call from the lab and we get this red value in the EMR and it's like screaming at you, ah, this patient's going to have a heart attack. This patient's going to have significant, you know, comorbidities. Something bad's going to happen to this patient if you don't manage this potassium right now. And what's really interesting is that in this study, doing nothing with their ACE inhibitor and ARB had a significantly better long-term outcome than actually, you know, buckling and defaulting to change their ARB, uh, ACE and ARB. How did they manage otherwise? Well, in the study, they didn't have a specific plan for the control group. It was basically, well, they're just going to stay on the medications and that's the control. But the editorial and comments from the authors later had some other strategies, okay? And that is, when possible, stop other medications or change other medications other than ACEs and ARBs that could be causing the rise in potassium. And, and what is that, right? So about 10% of patients were taking NSAIDs at the time. And NSAIDs, in combination with ARBs and ACE inhibitors, can cause an, a rise in that potassium level. So discontinuing the NSAID was the answer, would, would have been the answer for 10% of these patients, okay? Another option is they recommend stopping beta blockers. So I'm going to read this comment from the authors. In the absence of a specific indication, a substitute agent is preferred to beta blockade. Since these drugs lower plasma renin levels by interfering with the, with the stimulatory effect of sympathetic nervous systems on the juxtaglomerular cells. In addition, beta blockers can exacerbate exercise and fasting related hyperkalemia in CKD patients specifically, owing to unopposed alpha adrenergic receptor stimulation caused by increased sympathetic outflow signaled by afferent nerve activity originating in the, in the disease kidneys. My goodness, I had no idea that was a thing. So um, today I learned. Um, but so uh, NSAIDs, beta blockers, you know, having issues. In the study, 5% of the patients in the cohort were taking potassium supplements, okay? And so they mentioned that authors recommended obviously discontinuing potassium supplements. And, you know, I think all of us have been there where the, these patients with chronic kidney disease, oftentimes they have heart failure, other comorbidities, they're on Lasix or they're on a diuretic. And so then they also get put on a potassium supplement because at some point, at some time in the past, they were on a potassium, they, they had hypokalemia, they were discontinued from the hospital on a potassium supplement. And then as long as their potassium level was normal on a recheck BMP, that potassium was continued basically indefinitely because we didn't start it, but things weren't messed up. So we didn't want them to put them in hypokalemia. And so obviously check for potassium supplements. They also said that a huge amount of patients take salt substitute in their diet. And those salt substitutes that are supposed to prevent them from flipping into heart failure are usually potassium. And so to making sure that the patients aren't taking over-the-counter potassium supplementation by asking them about salt substitutes routinely when they have hyperkalemia. Additionally, many herbal remedies and supplements can be a hidden source of dietary potassium. They recommended not recommending patients stop a or start a low potassium diet 
because then oftentimes this will cause uh, in, this will cause uh, re, uh, depletion in other vitamins and minerals and fibers, uh, and so they actually uh, and potassium-rich foods facilitate a reduction in blood pressure and reduce the risk for coronary arteries and stroke, mitigate uh, metabolic acidosis and slow kidney disease progression. So they actually recommend not changing people to a low potassium diet and just doing other things instead. They looked at specifically correcting any, any causes of metabolic acidosis or prescribing one of the new potassium binding agents. And I will be completely honest with you. I have never prescribed pateromer, which is apparently a potassium binder, or sodium zirconium cyclosilicate, which again, I have never prescribed SZC, sodium zirconium cyclosilicate, um, as a potassium binder. But they actually recommend correcting metabolic acidosis, um, discontinuing NSAIDs, discontinuing beta blockers, uh, stopping any potassium supplementations or um, herbals or additional uh, you know, sources of potassium that aren't from the diet, and using a potassium binder way before going to a low potassium diet or stopping ACE inhibitors or ARBs. Um, the other thing is that they recommended when a patient is on spironolactone, you know, especially if it's an appropriate indication for their spironolactone, they actually recommended, yes, that you could consider discontinuing that, but consider substitution with thinerone, F-I-N-E-R-E-N-O-N-E, thinerinone, thinerinone, thinerinone. I've never used that drug, uh, but apparently it has a much shorter half-life in CKD patients, and so you have a significant reduction in the risk for hyperkalemia. So in a patient, and it was a very small subset of these patients in the study that were on spironolactone, obviously we know that's a cause of hyperkalemia, switch to a different version of spironolactone, this thinnerinone, and that also makes a big difference. So um, takeaway is, uh, again, very unsexy study, never cool to talk about the kidneys, nobody likes doing it, but don't stop ARBs, don't stop ACE inhibitors when people have hyperkalemia, especially in the setting of CKD and with heart failure and with a history of coronary artery disease as the risk for stroke, heart attacks, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease-specific mortality all go up. Don't necessarily even drop the dose. Look for other things like we just talked about and, and do your best to try to keep those drugs on board at their current recommended doses as your patients will likely benefit more significantly than anything else you can do for them by keeping them on those pills. So um, very surprising study for me, very opposite of what I normally do, very practice changing for me um, to continue those drugs and try to keep them as much as I can and reducing other causes of hyperkalemia. And uh, again, um, I might be using more potassium binders. Uh, that's that's a big takeaway for me, or I might actually start using them. Um, I might start using that uh, thinerinone. Thinerinone, yeah, that's probably how you pronounce it. Uh, stopping beta blockade, uh, pretty important. And then looking for other things that I can stop, like NSAIDs, um, always helpful. So again, this has been Dr. Mark Liss with the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in this week. Um, and a reminder, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and God bless you. Have a great week.